From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 775, getting the most from your cloud database with guest Jess Schultz. Recorded Monday, April 12th, 2021. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today is Jeff Schultz who's a software engineer in the commercial software engineering group at Microsoft, and she helps customers architect and build data services in Azure. But you used to be a PFE. I was. I started my career with SQL Server. Mm -hmm. I moved into Microsoft as a premier field engineer in data and AI focused on SQL Server, and that's still a great love of mine. Yeah. But... Customers are moving into cloud services and Azure and Microsoft is making big investments in Azure, particularly in data services and Azure SQL. And I said, that's a great place to go. Let me help get customers into the cloud and get their data into the cloud and do it the best way possible. And so I've been having fun over here in CSE for a couple of years doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the premier field engineers for me, I mean, all the years of doing run as, they were such a great source of on the ground. Listen, I, you know, I, I, I've got folks who are worried about 10,000 people in Active Directory. I just fixed 150,000 people in Active Directory. Don't <laughs> worry, you're going to be okay. Like there was a lot of those, those kinds of messages you could communicate of fixing much larger more challenging problems than what other folks are facing. Just so you know, they, there's a higher watermark than that. Like that to me was really powerful conversation. But I almost wonder if the model has evolved because they, these relationships are all different now. Uh, you know, PFEs were part of an, uh, that old style. You have a volume license agreement. You're a certain size. You pay this additional fee and you have access to these extraordinary people. But today, cloud is like this continuous consumption model. You know, you guys only get paid when they actually use your stuff, not just buy it. Mm-hmm. Not just buy it. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, uh, I know they've changed the PFE role to be renamed customer engineers, and the customer engineers now work really closely with our teams of CSAs or cloud solution architects. They're mm-hmm. really trying to pair those up on on customer accounts and recognize the value of their, you know, pre-bought enterprise agreements and licenses. There's still a lot of on-prem work. There's still a yeah. lot of on-prem that's not, problems that's not going to be away, solved. I'm sure. But they are also working very much hand in hand with the CSAs to say, hey, you know, you have this particular application, workload, um, customer that would be a great fit for a cloud service. Or, you know, maybe we use the cloud as a secondary disaster recovery right. uh, solution for you. How can we do that hybrid approach. And and a very common strategy I see still to this day is we're not all in on the cloud. We've got these investments in our own infrastructure, mm-hmm. but I've got a contract coming up on a disaster recovery site. And hey, rather than renewing that, why don't I switch over to one of these other solutions? I think 
mm-hmm. I don't know that anybody uh, in a leadership role at an, at an organization looking at their investments in technology doesn't automatically say when any contract comes up, should this be moved to one of the cloud providers? Like, does is there a cloud-centric solution to this that makes sense? Rather than drop it a two-comer number on new hardware or another five-year commit to a, to a, a data center of some kind. Definitely. Customers are, you know, especially larger enterprise customers, medium-sized businesses, mm-hmm. they they realize that the hybrid model is the future. Um, you know, and they might even have multiple clouds sure. depending on, you know, what services in each cloud work best for specific applications within specific departments or organizations in their own companies. So being able to recognize that customers want that hybrid approach, being mm-hmm. able to recognize, you know, what's best to keep on prem for the time being or what a customer needs there and then what of their services and data could benefit from a cloud model and, you know, the scalability, the rapid feature evolution. That's um that's fun to me and interesting yeah. and really a valuable a valuable resource for companies. Yeah, and just an interesting way to think about, you know, how much of this code are you carrying just because it's inertia versus this could be modernized, this can be replaced. There is a tool for that now. You know, even I making podcasts for, for 15 years have had to shake off the – we wrote a lot of our own stuff back in the early aughts, mm-hmm. and now you don't do that anymore. There are services for all of that. But it doesn't mean it's easy to transform or change over to any of those things. It does not getting – and especially, again, in my field, working with data there's, you know, you don't have just a database that stands alone. Mm-hmm. There are things that interface with that database, applications, websites, reports, analytical dashboards, you know, like a Power BI or a ClickView or something like that. Getting customers to modernize data structures is a particular challenge Mm -hmm. because there are all of these other things that have to come along with it. Are you upgrading or are you changing anything about the application? Is that going to be compatible with anything that you're upgrading or modernizing? Are your reporting systems going to work if you switch over to the cloud, if you do a hybrid model, if you modernize. Right. It's a complex world. And that's a, it's a lot for a a company and a department and an org to to take on and transform. But once once they do, you're right, there's so much that's that's pre-built now that's built in that really you know, lets customers take away from the micromanaging of their data and their infrastructure and even index tuning and mm-hmm. step back to bigger problems of how can we provide more value from the data rather than micromanaging the data. Do you find the data moving last? Like, it, it, to me, it seems like that is, well, there's always, there used to be, and I don't know if this is still a big talking point, the gut data governance issue. It's like, do I really want my data in the cloud or am I going to keep that on-prem? Maybe I'll just move the app up. Do you still see that conversation? Not as often. Especially with Azure leading the way with, you know, pre-built financial services cloud, pre-built healthcare cloud, Mm -hmm. the government cloud. Companies are recognized now that trust and security and compliance for their data are at the top of the list for cloud providers. That's 
that is how we provide those services. We would customers wouldn't trust us if there were problems with sure. their data, if things were not secure, if there was a chance of it being lost or um, you know compromised. So I don't have those uh, questions as much anymore from customers. So I'm glad we seem to be past that hump of, yeah. is the cloud safe? Is the cloud secure? I mean, I think about it now, Azure SQL alone is over a decade old. Yeah. That's Companies crazy. and industry professionals have had time to test this and use it and protect, uh, you know, make sure that it is protected. Mm -hmm. And have confidence in it. I mean, when I did yes. real work, and let's face it, that was a while ago. <laughs> um, I work mostly in the fintech space, and I still have friends working over there who talk about audits are easier now when it's in the cloud. Like, which I thought was an interesting aspect to it because that was the thing we always dreaded the most was you're about to have the system reviewed by government auditors. That's always tough. Like it's a long process, but the, the effort that the cloud providers on, I mean, Azure's done a great job. You're not the only one, uh, mm -hmm. that had, that make it, that auditors response to that now is there's nothing to see here, essentially. Oh, you're running it this way. Have you followed these guidelines? That's very visible. You know, there's very specific rules about how data is accessible and so forth. And so it's almost a checklist item. It's like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, you guys are good on that part. Let's go look elsewhere. Yeah, it's about the cloud providers being able to take a set of best practices, a set of compliance protocols, apply it at scale consistently across customers. And then again, it takes away from that micromanaging of yeah. the data. You yeah. don't have to build your own auditing trails. You don't have to build your own risk assessments. Those things are provided for you yeah, within and, a cloud service. And by that same token, the auditor doesn't need to review that. It's like, oh, so you're <laughs> using insights. You have this and this turned on. We already know what that is. Mm -hmm. we, we also got that out of like enterprise class versions of SQL Server. It also had pretty standard configurations where you knew what the audit logs looks like and so forth. And same with Active Directory accounts mapped into it. You knew login logouts for all of that. So if you follow those procedures, like we had that pretty wired back in the day. I just think the cloud makes this even easier. Uh, and what I would say about that, when you would previously have, you know, auditing features turned on, there were still other parts that were tied in like, okay, when you when you turn on audit, it tracks this, but then where is your data stored? Mm -hmm. What's protecting that? What about the um the, the data location itself. What about your application? What about the network that it's being um, transmitted across? Right. Again, when you have an application and a data store and a network in Azure, all of those pieces are covered with that same surface area and it's much more secure. Yeah. And again, consistent. Consistency is key. I've been saying that for many years in my career. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's on, but at the same time, it, you know, the cloud's not going to save you from bad configuration and bad behavior and bad passwords. Like all, all of those things are still true, yep. you know, still have vulnerabilities <laughs> there, but, it, but at least, you know, from a, from a, how hard is it to understand the, the state of affairs? I think it's gotten a lot easier. The other aspect that I find interesting with databases and looking at these migrations, like just what it would take to move stuff up is, do you know all of the tools that are accessing your database? Like, I, I think the maps are pretty weak in a lot of organizations that they just don't know 
what all's depending on a given data set? The number of times that I have faced a project where a customer wants to take and migrate a SQL server with multiple databases into a cloud system, whether that's you know a virtual machine running in the cloud or you know an Azure SQL. And I say, what are these databases all being used for? Have them try to tie it to specific applications. 100% of the time, there's at least one database where no one knows <laughs> what apps it's connected to. Yeah. Is anyone using it? Who owned that database once upon a time? Right. Uh, you know, that that doesn't go away with the cloud. And you have to be really careful when you're in a cloud system because, as you mentioned earlier, you're paying for every byte of data you store, mm -hmm. every minute of compute that you are churning against that database. The data governance that you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. is becoming a much bigger topic now because of that. Customers want data catalogs to store metadata. They want to know for a, any given data store, what business unit owns it? What business information does it hold? What applications is it tied to? They want to be able to pull up a data map and see things like lineage, yeah. right? Where, you know, where does this data start? What is it used in? This report that I have in Power BI, what are its underlying data sources? Let's pull it up. So data governance is... Uh, very important, very hot button topic in the data world, I would say in 2021 and beyond. And I did a show at the end of March with Laurie Litwick where we talked about purview, you know, still mm -hmm. in, in the early versions. And I think it's another one of these aspects of why do you want to move to the cloud? It's like, look at this tooling mm -hmm. for giving you visibility into what data you have and what's using it. And starting to construct that real significant metadata map of of this mm -hmm. resource within the organization, we've we've been talking for decades about using the data inside of our organizations better. Yes, and that that conversation continues. That is still something customers want. I think that you know a, a cloud service, a data governance solution, mm -hmm. something like Purview is a really big leap forward for customers making sure that they get that yeah and just it's it's interesting that the fundamental stuff things like azure sql and and, and so forth they map fairly neatly in the products you already have but once you get in the cloud mm -hmm. there's all these other products you didn't have on-prem i don't know how you <laughs> do purview on-prem although i understand purview can poke into on-prem to some degree as well but it is it is uh interesting to see the expansion of products in the cloud space versus the on-premises space. It does seem like a cloud-first world these days. It is. And again, it goes back to what I was saying about being able to take a take a feature and apply it at scale. Mm -hmm. Being able to, you know, cloud providers are constantly monitoring, you know, their systems, feature usage, telemetry, right? Telemetry is a word I hear so much. Uh, and, you know, they gather data about what features are customers using? What do we need to improve on? What, you know, what kind of response times are we getting? So cloud providers are applying machine learning uh, algorithms and, learning what they can improve on across all of these things that customers are using. And that's, you know, 
that's something customers, you know, every organization that I worked with when I was, say, a PFE, they don't necessarily have the resources no. and the skills and the infrastructure to say, we're going to spin up this whole infrastructure to track all of the metrics of all of our applications, databases, storage, networking. We're going to see what's being used, what isn't, where our where customers want the most feet are sending the most feedback, where they want the most things built. They didn't have, you know, customers didn't build that just for themselves. Cloud, cloud providers are able to do that. And that telemetry and that ML are really driving a lot of these innovations. Yeah. And it's, and it's a great product add to the suite too. You guys are incented to do that. Mm -hmm. It's more stuff for us to buy. (laughs) And Jess, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of Run As is brought to you by SQL Intersection, back at the Swan Hotel in Orlando, June 6th to 10th. You've heard the SQL Q&A shows we publish on Run As twice a year from SQL Intersection. That is a microcosm of the five days of awesome learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the closing session of SQL Intersection and be part of the SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. SQL Intersection is at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, June 6th to 10th. Use code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at SQLintersection.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Rich Campbell. That's Jess Schultz. And we're talking a bit about, I don't know, we're talking about the, the, the details of moving databases and monitoring them and understanding them. I did back in the old, good old days, and I swear that's the 90s now, I would instrument <laughs> new versions of my app and study the logs specifically to do a report back when we were shipping maybe once, twice a year. To sort of talk about here's how people are using the new feature. And I got into that habit because mm-hmm. uh, two things that happened to me early on in my career. One was the new feature tipped the system over. And, they, and the logs have been warning me for a while it was going to happen. I just wasn't looking. And the second was I'd also built features nobody used. And you don't find mm-hmm. out about that. So I got into this routine of you push out the new features. You put monitoring in particular around that feature. You watch it, see how it's being used. And then it turned out if you wrote about it, if you said, hey – Here's what so and so is doing with the feature, and they were always using it differently than you thought. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that that's so applicable today, and arguably easier to be able to be more savvy about how your users are using the infrastructure the company provides, so that you can yes. tune training, you can communicate those ideas better. Like, I just I don't feel like we're ever going to run short on work. Right. Like I, I still oh, hear gosh, people worried no. about I'm moving to the cloud. They're going to take my job away. It's like, you know what you could be doing? <laughs> Whoever got to the bottom of the to-do list and you never put, you know, studying the logs of how people are utilizing the system and, and optimizing training and communications around that on your list in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And have you, you know, when, when talking about migrating again, data, because that's my space mm-hmm. to the cloud, it's first, Let's talk about migrating it and moving it, but then 
let's also modernize it. Yeah. Let's talk. About, and that's something a lot of professionals have, a, you know, data professionals, infrastructure professionals, they don't think like, once I move it there, I'm not, no, I'm not worrying about backups. I can set up disaster recovery to a different cloud region in three clicks, and that's taken care of. I just need to, you know, do some failover tests a couple times right. a year, which are a couple PowerShell commandlets. Well, and it's it's also really easy to stand up your backup database now because it's just a, a temporary yes. resource, right? I mean, back in the day, when we were actually going to test restores. It's like, well, what are we going to restore to? Because it's not the production gear. It's busy. Mm -hmm. But in the cloud, that's just not an issue. It's like, hey, take it's this. just there. Restore it. Over here, let's yes. go play with it for a while and then put it away. Like, it, it, And then we can stash it. Yeah. And so, you know, yes. you, you can practice, right? It's not enough to just say it worked once. You can practice over and over again, get good at it. You can, yeah, and make sure that it works. So, once the, the burden and the time that you were spending on that is taken away, now you can say, okay, can I start working on... Um, you know, maybe updating internal structures in my database. Am I taking advantage of things like column store index in Azure SQL? Right. You know, I, could I potentially be taking this huge database with slow IO and just by transforming some indexes into column store, reducing my footprint, improving my IO, you know, um, which could be done on-prem as well, but if you're moving it into Azure and you have this time freed up from all of those other management things, that's just one example of things you could be working on. You could be looking at certain data structures and saying, well, this is really more of a, you know, a graph kind of relationship. Could we be... Um, you know, combining one data store or two data stores into one where we, you know, take something that's in a relational database and take something that's in a graph database. And now Azure SQL has the capability to build graph queries. Could we combine that? Th hmm. That kind of modernization that I am really trying to get customers on that journey nowadays. Yeah. So you still seeing folks mostly lift and shift. I'm just going to move it to the cloud, then I'll be done. It just keeps doing what it's always doing. There's a lot of that, right. and I think um, that's. I mean, that's again for cloud providers. Mm. That's great, but there's so much more power behind it. One of the things that I am starting to see more of, which really interests me, is. Um, large on-prem monolithic older databases, SQL Server databases, Oracle databases, Teradata data warehouses. Right. You know, on-prem customers for, you know, 15 years ago as a DBA, I was dealing with, okay, some databases are going to be on, you know, tier one storage on our SAN and some are going to be on tier two storage and right. some are going to be on tier three. Now, an example of modernizing that in the cloud, um, you know, I recently worked with a financial services customer, had a uh, Oracle database that was over 50 terabytes in size, right. and they realized that the active hot data was only one to two terabytes. The wow. rest of it was just archive data. And so the goal was, okay, how do we... You know, move this into Azure and use multiple data stores. We evaluated um, Postgres, uh, post 
PostgreSQL for Azure and Azure SQL for that hot data evaluated ADLS Gen 2 and just Azure storage for that cold data. How do you move the data back and forth between them? It was a significant cost savings and a significant performance improvement for them. Uh, Imagine if you can reduce the amount of data you have to query by 50%, you know, in their case, 90% because they were dealing with just a couple bits of hot data now instead of this giant pile of old data. So that's something that's becoming a more um, prominent pattern as well. But I also think it's a byproduct of the cloud, right? Because you can turn down Uh, your data load fairly easily. When we were provisioning data warehouses back in the day, you, you had to provision for peak. And so you didn't really worry about that. Like, when would you ever do that tuning when you own the gear? Like, it, it almost didn't make sense. Yeah. Every five years, you're like, hey, we're only using a small part of this database. We can make this smaller. I don't know that we'd ever do that. <laughs> you already bought the gear. You own it. You're going to replace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably not going to be smaller because you're, you're trying to project what your needs are going to be for the next five years. No company ever has less data or fewer yeah. applications. So you're never, ever going to deal with it that way, where because you can literally tweak that minute to minute, if you have that kind of time, like you only need to tune for what you're actually using. So it it really opens to you're thinking about the resource consumption differently, not only just because you're billing it that way, but because you can granularize it. You can turn down what we are and aren't using. Or yes. That's it, or tur- and turn it up. You know, peak times, it's like, hey, it's time to do a ton of analysis. Like, I can up the amount of resources I have tremendously to get this analysis done as quickly as possible. I'm just thinking about what how data warehousing even looks in this model today. Because we did a lot of tuning and tweaking and polishing a separate set of the data for the analysts. Where if I can throw as much compute as I want at it at any given time, why would I do that in advance anymore? Why don't I do it when you need it? And that's a great question. And we deal with that with customers all the time. I will say that the traditional, and you can see my air quotes, our listeners will have to imagine (laughs) them in their minds, the traditional data warehousing pattern of extract the data, transform it into the schema that you want, the, you know, the facts that you need to get it, and then load it into the specific tables that specific reports will connect to that, you know, analysts will use. Right. Companies still want that. They want a source of truth. They want they want their business users to be using a consistent set of data. They, that's important. We need that source of truth. But there is an increase in what I'll call, as opposed to a data warehouse, more you know the data lake or data lake house effect, where right. instead of that ETL pattern, it's that ELT extract the data from the source systems, load it into a low-cost, low-latency storage unit, and then give 
the data scientists, the data engineers, the business analysts, tools to transform it or query it on their own. Databricks is a great example of a tool that they use for that. Right. Um, being able to load things into data frames and use Python or Scala against it. And there is still a need for making sure that there's you know, high quality data, clean data, mm-hmm. um, that things are not missing. There are definitely use cases for both, but I think that traditional data warehousing model is still incredibly valid. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And of course, it's just in the cloud, so you can provision what you need. I always felt like we over-provision data warehouses because you never, you know, those first cubes were always bigger than you were actually going to use, but you could never mm-hmm. build them if you didn't provision for that in the first place. Today, you're, I think you're a little more refined. But do I actually I get do I actually need to retain copies of the data that have gone through this process or can I simply go through the process each time? Like how tunable is that? How automatable is that? I find that because of the volumes of data, mm-hmm. right? No one ever wants to get rid of data. Ever. People want to keep their original source data in one place and you know, incrementally add to it because mm-hmm. Yes, we have very, very fast machines these days, but now customers have 20, 30, 100 years of data and trying to crunch through, you know, multiple terabytes approaching petabytes can be restrictive. And so they're still loading the last day, the last week, the last month of data at a time in that traditional model. The, The nice thing is now with these cloud systems we have, if you... If the business acquires another company and wants to bring more data in or has a new product launch and it's very successful and it needs to be added in, it's so much easier to scale that data warehouse out, right, to go from having 10 partitions to having 30 and tripling your compute power. Um, So I think that we can ingest more data in the same amount of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and also add that compute while you're doing that process and then mm-hmm. land the results. Like it's, it's very map reduced these days and the compute time will cost you a certain amount, but you're only harnessing it for the few hours you're doing it. And then you're storing exactly. it away and spending less. Like that to me is so that is the distinct aspect of the cloud versus everything we did on premises where you own the gear. So you always had all that compute. You had to pay for mm-hmm. it for, for forever. Now you're yeah, only paying for it when you use it. Yeah, and that's that model has it's incredibly beneficial because you know customers only need to pay for the compute they use. So I consistently work with people to tune their tune their queries against their relational databases, tune their partitioning model against their Cosmos DB uh, document collections, so they're only getting what they need to right. you know. clean up their ETL processes, however they are, into that data warehouse to make them realize that you you can be cost conscious in the cloud. It exists, but it all comes down to, you know, a bad query is always worth tuning. Um, And another point that I'll make uh, to kind of diverge back into the relational data model, you know, we talk about being able to uh, use something like a SQL data warehouse, then pause it when we're not using it. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of cloud services are moving into that for relational databases as well. Sure. Azure SQL has a serverless model yeah. where if your application is inactive for an hour or six hours, whatever you set, the compute pauses. Cosmos DB, same thing, has yeah. a serverless model in preview right now. If you're not using it, you're not paying for it. And I think more customers are going to start using that and really realizing the benefits of it overall. Another benefit of cloud services. Sure. And I do think it's a, it's a new role for us in the DBA's life in the cloud to say, we can directly see that our efforts to do tuning and tweaking all this turns into a lower bill at the end of the month mm -hmm. and, and, and also better utilization and better performance. Like we've always been able to measure our performance improvements, but quantifying that the dollars was tougher. Correct. The, I reduced the bill this month doing these things and it's faster. CFOs get that. Whoa. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, Jess, really yes. thank you for this conversation. Just because it's that going, getting the most from what you, what happens when you move into the cloud. Yes. That, that there's more work to be done and there's very measurable returns when you do that work. Yes. And again, to your point, Moving into the cloud does not mean that a database administrator or a data engineer or an infrastructure administrator's job is going away. No. It just changes the work that you're doing, again, from micromanaging away all of those little pieces to really modernizing, monitoring, and um, you know, providing new value. Yeah, absolutely. Jez Schultz, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Rich. Always a pleasure to talk. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.